Uh, we're going to get started. We're going to get going. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward with Bibles, outlines, pens for you to follow along. Uh, prayer request cards if you want to fill one of those out. And reminding you that you should be praying for Camp Rock, our children's vacation Bible school is coming up at the end of the month. We've got uh, leaders, we've got volunteers, we've got students that are going to be involved in that. And it's just a real important thing that we can do as a church to be a, a community that's, that serves a greater community. Uh, speaking of our community, student ministry, love you guys. I want to dismiss you out to Fellowship Hall. Enjoy your time out there with uh, Megan, Brent, the rest of the staff. Man, they just keep growing. Uh, we are Ecclesiastes chapter 4 this morning. We started a series a few weeks ago. We're continuing and uh, we're having fun. In case you didn't get the memo, we're walking through the different perspectives that Solomon uh, gives us called maybe the wisest man to ever live. And the questions that he asks, he asks chapter 1, uh, what's the return? What's the gain for all the work we do under the sun? And then second. Uh, chapter, he kind of stumbles us into the concept, well, pleasing God, that's your gain. And so uh, then chapter three, last week, we, uh, we said, well, if our gain, chapter one, comes from pleasing the Lord, chapter two, then chapter three, what's God's business? What is he working at? And so we talked about that a little bit last week. You find all those on the podcast. For those of you watching at home, come to church. We'd love to see you. Uh, but this week, chapter four, if we're asking those questions, what do we gain? Please, God, what's he up to? The question in chapter four is going to be, uh, who do we work for? And we, we would say, because we're at church and we asked a question from the stage, uh, who do we work for? Oh, Jesus, God, right. But let's play that out functionally. Let's look, put some flesh to it, some detail, so that we functionally know how do we do that? Uh, and the Bible's pretty specific in that, in this chapter. Solomon's going to have a little fun with us. He might be going a little dark as well, uh, but even the darkness is not dark with God, which was actually a quote from last chapter. Amen? Let's pray, and we'll jump right in. Lord, thanks for your word, and thanks for the questions that we can ask of you anytime and you have good answers. Thanks, Lord, that we're not the first to do it. We're not even the best to do it. And so we thank you for these great questions asked by Solomon, written down by your direction so that we might learn more about who you are, who we are. So, Lord, we ask your blessing on this time. And I personally thank you, Lord, for the people that are sitting within the first four rows. Amen. What happened? You guys listened. I love it. We had four rows empty a while back. Now, there's barely breathing room. It's like a concert, right? I feel like I should have an electric guitar or something. Anyways, let's move on. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. Here we go. Uh, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Do we still have oppression in our culture? We do in a lot of ways. In fact, sometimes I think we're trying to invent new ways to oppress. Uh, kind of fun that the women 
have kind of pushed through some of the oppression and now world women's soccer is kind of on stage, center stage, and they're, they're fun to watch, right? Uh, let's just say that there's a lot of oppressions out there. In an oppression, you've got two entities, right? In an oppression, right? You have those that are oppressed and then you have the oppressors doing the oppression. Uh, Solomon's gonna talk about both of them right now. Behold, the tears of the oppressed, they're real, and they had no one to comfort them. You find that during oppression a lot of times? I'm amazed how many times I hear stories that I knew nothing about and they crush me. And a friend sent me a story. Watch this link. I watched the link, then I wrote it back. Please don't send me links like that anymore. I cried for half an hour. <laughs> Right? I just to watch something that's that bad, it was just rough. And it's real, it really happens. On the side of their oppressors, here's the other side, there was power. Right? Usually it's someone in power taking advantage of somebody else. But watch what he says. And there was no one to comfort them. Whoa. Two sides. What's kind of implied? If there's no comfort for the oppressor, then is their oppression working? Are they getting the end to which they thought they were going to receive with their efforts? Hey, if I oppress these people, then I'll get what I want. Sounds like it's not working. It's not working for either side. Well, that's a little dark. Is there more to life than that? What's the value here? Oppressor, oppression, or comfort? Yeah, how do we take care of people? Right? Because they're losing on both sides. It's kind of interesting to look at any conflict that both sides are losing. Makes you take a different perspective at conflict. Hey, how about we avoid conflict, try to figure out how do we do, what's that phrase? Win-win. How do we find a win-win? In a win-win, who gets valued? Everybody. I want you to sense that theme because that's the direction that he's going. Here we go, verse 2. And I thought the dead who were already dead were more fortunate than the living who are still alive. Ouch. You know, if there's no oppression, if there's no comfort for the oppression conflict on either side... It's better that you just die because then at least you'll be out of the oppression no matter the side you're on. Well, man, that's dark. Just when you thought it was bad as it could get, he's going to go worse. Verse three, but better than both is he who has not yet been. <laughs> been what? We would say not yet been born, right? To not exist at all and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Do we have evil? Absolutely. Is it better to not be born in the first place so that you never get to experience evil? Well, that's a rough question. Uh, are we devaluing life here a little bit? We kind of are. I mean, is existence worth it? Is it? I mean, we're going to work all the time and there's no comfort on either side. 
You know, is it worth it to spend your day going out shopping, spending money, buying stuff because you're depleting your resources and you know the stuff you're buying is going to get ruined eventually anyways and you spent your day and now you're hungry and you had to go shopping with the 15-year-old daughter. <laughs> you try to buy a shirt, you pick out a shirt, you try it on because you think you're a large and ooh, it's a little tight. This is not good. My large is... Not large enough? What, what, what's going on here? This is embarrassing and depressing. Right? Is that existence worth it? Yes. Yeah, because there's extra large, right? <laughs> so you go and you find the extra large. You try the extra large on. All the meanwhile, the 15-year-old's mocking you. But, you know, the extra large is kind of fitting. You realize when you're looking for the extra large that when you find it and you see the tag and it says extra large, right underneath it says slim. You think to yourself, well, slim left town a long time ago. I'm hoping this still works. And you put the shirt on and it kind of works and you think, wow, that looks not too bad. Then your father-in-law says you should wear that to church tomorrow. Now you got permission. Is that worth it? (laughs) Prior to that, you go back and you realize, wait, if the extra large was slim, let's look at the large again. (gasps) The large says underneath it, slim as well. Well, no, I don't feel so bad. Because if I could find a full-bodied large, I'd probably be okay. (laughs) But then who wants to go through life being referred to as full-bodied? You know, it's just a battle on and on. Existence, right? Is it worth it? Solomon kind of asked the question, but I I want you to see that some of what Solomon's going to do with us in the whole book of Ecclesiastes is Socratic. Socratic, what's that, Scott? That's asking questions that lead you in a direction that might be imply an answer or imply an extreme opposite to kind of force you to fight back against it. You know, why do you see what he's doing? Uh, Because many people have made a mistake in reading the scriptures and taking it at one perspective rather than realizing there's other ways to look at it. And the author's intention is more important than our fear. I'm going to say amen to that, and I hope you will as you read scripture and have that experience. But he's kind of saying, is it better to never be born? Or if you were born to be killed so that you don't experience evil at all? And I, I, guys, I want to ask you the question. We know evil's out there. We know oppression's out there. We know a lot of time there's not comfort for either side. But is there something more? Absolutely. Let's get out of this dark picture. Verse 4. Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's, what? Of who? his neighbor. Well, that one hurts a lot. First service I said that one hurts a little and then I was realizing, no, that one hurts a lot. Our pursuit of getting better at our job, making more money, getting more status, more power, more influence, whatever, experience, wisdom is driven by our selfishness, our envy to be better than the other. Are we all in a competition? Right? Well, no, 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 if you get the job, then someone else didn't, right? That's competition. If you're getting the paycheck and they aren't, 
If you made the sales quota and they didn't, we're in a competition. Why? To elevate self. Boy, that hurts. The part that hurts about it the most is I, I identify with it fully and completely. I've been competing my whole life. I love the subjection of my fellow man. I don't even like saying it, but, you know, I feel awkward just saying it, but I have spent most of my life trying to do better than those around me. I want what they have, or I want to excel past them. I want to have influence over them, or I want to make the decision. Why? That's a great question to ask. What's the motivation? Solomon has come up with, hey, you know, the only motivation we have is our own envy. That is darkness, folks. That is evil. Will the oppressors oppress the oppressed? Because they want to have power and control. Man, I don't want to be that guy. Why do I buy a good car? Why do I dress up? Why do I show up on time? You know what? That's pride. It's a little bit painful for me to recognize that when I get to talk about going to Mexico and building houses for people who don't have them, that there's a piece of pride in that. And I have to be real careful. When I recognize bragging rights, as bragging rights. Sitting across the coffee table with the soccer person. Wait, you were out of town? Where'd you go? I went to make. What'd you do? I was building a house for poor people. It almost gives a feeling of, I've just one-upped. Yeah, what'd you do with your week last week? I was building for the needy. <laughs> Boy, that's a rough position. Especially when I recognize that I'm elevating self. How do I have that conversation in a way that honors the person across the table yet still gets the information across? Hey, why don't you come with me next time? I don't know. I could badmouth myself. Was there a motivation in trying to demote, de- demote myself a little to order to hide my position so I can elevate later? <laughs> no, I'm telling you, I'm good at all this stuff. I love it. I know none of you do this. I'm just trying to protect you from what could happen. Right? This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. So why be good at our jobs? Why be efficient? Why be attractive? It makes us redefine everything. Who do you work for? That's the question. That's the title. Top of the outline, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Right? How do we keep from knowing that we're working for who? How do we keep from knowing that we're working for who? Self. That's the big battle. It's the battle from the very first book, the very first story. Fighting for themselves. Hey, didn't you know you could be like God? That sounds great. Sign me up. All I need is one of them fruits. Cool. That's how we get in trouble. Fascinating that Solomon comes up with thousands of years later, comes up, same answer. 
And he thinks there's a theme. Verse 5, the fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Is that literal? I love that some of you are laughing. That you know it's so absurd that it's not literal, right? Because you need to come with a little common sense when you use scripture. What's the um, point then here? To pursue your own things and just do your own thing is kind of like folding your hands and eating your own flesh. When you sit idle and you do nothing, it's just to your own promotion, you are rotting away. Better is a handful of quietness, stillness, maybe contemplation, maybe mindfulness or intention than two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. People say, well, what do you want to do? I don't know, I just want to do something. Let's get going. Then you start working at the wrong thing. You start digging a hole in the wrong spot. Now you got to fill the hole. And the whole time you're digging the wrong hole and then filling up the wrong hole was time you weren't spent in digging the correct hole. But that's a hard lesson to learn. Dad, I've not learned multiple times every year in many scenarios. Let's, let's, let's be smart about what we're doing. Again, verse 7, I saw vanity under the sun. What's this vanity? One person who has no other. No other what? Person. One person with no other person, right? This is a person alone. No son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks. What's the question of chapter 4? For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? Hey, you can deprive yourself of pleasure for good reason. Who's that reason? Not what, who. But it's a different way to ask the question. It's a different question. Generally, what am I depriving myself for? Personal gain, usually. When I ask the question, who am I depriving myself for? Well, I am looking at it from a totally different angle. Never ask who. You know, to pursue life like this is also vanity and an unhappy business. Hey, I'm starting a new business. It's really unhappy. Who wants in? No one? I'm starting a business. It's really happy. Anybody want in on that one? Yeah. This is how, like, how simple it gets for uh, God and Solomon. It's like, look, if you're doing stuff without other people, loser. Was that, was that clear enough? <laughs> I mean, newsflash, right? If you're not with other people, there's the problem. Two are better than one. Verse 9. Because they have a good reward for their toil, for their work, what do they get? Not just a reward, a good reward. Do you know what just happened for the first time in three and a half chapters? We just found out how to get reward. Well, you know, chapter two, it said we're supposed to please God. That's how, yes, but how do you please God? How do you get reward by pleasing God? Well, you ask what business he's in. Chapter 3, Scott, you told us a few seconds ago. Yes, great. When you figure out what business God is in and that you need to please him in order to get reward, how do you do it? Chapter 4, you work with other people. 
other people. What was that word? Relationship. Cooperation. It's lost its value, by the way. Cooperation, you know that this word is bordering on valuelessness. Now we use things like collaboration. Found, sounds fancier. You know what it means? Cooperation. It's the same sticky word. Teamwork or work together. Or I, like I like to do, like put it in like preschool, help each other. That's really hard to explain, right? <laughs> if you can't get that, we've got all kinds of other issues we've got to deal with, right? Uh, where am I? Verse 9. Yes, reward for their Torah. Verse 10. For if they fall, then they both die. No, 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 that's not it. One will lift up his fellow. Well, you know, if we both work at it and it doesn't work, then, then we will both have failed. Oh, you pessimist. I'm so sorry that you're going to have to go through the rest of life with that perspective. Oh, wait, no, you have a choice. How about you look at it as if you work together and somebody falls, you can help each other. Woe to him who has who is what? Alone. Alone. Woe to him who is alone. Can we just call that the sermon right there? Just that little phrase, but woe to him who is alone. Totally forgot that first service. That's your second service extra, by the way. We're fighting alone in chapter four. Double meaning there. Which one did I mean? Do we fight alone? Or are we fighting alone the concept? Right? Got to be careful where you put the emphasis on the right syllable. Right? Uh, Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. What's your job? Lift up. Right? Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? There's our word again, alone. And though a man might prevail against one who is what? Alone. It's been said three times now. The key in scripture. Prevail? Why prevail? Are we in a conflict? Yeah, we're in a fight. We're in a fight one-on-one. Well, that's when we take betting odds, right? Who's going to win? Red or blue? Right? But if there's two fighting against one, um, which team do you want to be on? Do you want to be on the two or the one? I want numbers, right? Like my college coach used to say, I want to go to goal at speed with numbers. I want to overwhelm the opponent. He says, if you got two people together, you can withstand him who is trying to prevail you. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Wow. What's the value? People, relationship, more than yourself. Who are you supposed to work with? Well, if I want something done right, I'm going to do it. <laughs> Liars. Totally set, different set of values when you say that sentence. You want something done right, get as much help as you can. Oh, that's not how the phrase goes, Scott. Yes. And how's that been working out? Not well. <laughs> Watch this, verse 13. This one's really kind of fun. This is my favorite of the week, probably. Uh, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take what? 
what do you have to have with advice? There's you, and there's the advice. What, what else has to be there? An advisor. Well, that's a good way to say it, right? Because now you know exactly how they're related. Right? Another person. But somehow we've gotten to the point where the other person is always in question. In fact, generally, the other person is not liked. In fact, when I get advice, what I like to say to myself is, well, let's consider the source. Why do you use that phrase, let's consider the source? Because when you get the advice, if you say, let's consider the source, what are you doing? I'm devaluing the source so that I can ignore the advice. Solomon's saying, don't do that. That's ignorance. That's foolishness. Which brings up another concept I'd like for us to discuss right now. You go to somebody and say, how was your day? Oh, it was horrible. Really? Why so bad? I had meetings all day. All day, full day meetings. Really? Did you accomplish a bunch of stuff? Yeah, we did. But I had to sit in meetings. Really? For a long time? Yeah, all day. I hate meetings. In fact, I want to run my business with as few meetings as possible. Oh, interesting. What's the value there? How about this? How was your day? It was amazing. Really? What'd you do? I went to some meetings. You went to meetings and you enjoyed it? Yes. Why? Because they were all day. What? You went to meetings all day and you enjoyed it? Yeah. You must have got a lot of stuff done. No. We had a discussion the whole time. We've yet to come to a decision. In fact, we're going to make a decision maybe at the next meeting. More meetings? Uh-huh. What's the value there? Why didn't you want to be at those meetings all day, you who thought your meetings were horrible? Well, I didn't want to be around all those people. And they disagreed with me. And I couldn't get my way. Got a bunch of stuff done, but it wasn't the stuff I wanted. Right? The other person, hey, you really enjoyed all those meetings? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. You spent the whole day doing it and you got nothing done. There were zero decisions. Yes, but I spent the whole day with great people. Oh, they all agreed with you? Wait, how did you spend the whole day with great people who all agreed to you and not get anything done? Oh, no, no, that's not what happened. They were great people. Most of them disagreed with me. What is wrong with you? Because the value system is people. I love meetings. If I love the people and I love the topic, right? Staff meeting, Rock Bible Church, every Wednesday. I love it. Sometimes we have very little to discuss. Those are my favorite meetings because I'm spending time with people I like and I want to be around. I figured out the meetings that I don't want to go to because I don't want to take advice. I don't want to be around people that I don't like. And you know what the problem there is? It's not the people. That's my perspective. 
I've yet to see the value in those people. I've yet to see the value in their different perspective. I've yet to try their approach over mine. You know the fastest way to get your way? Oh, now, Scott, you're talking. Yeah, how do I get my way? Let them go first. But their way's wrong. It's going to be a catastrophic fail. And as much as I want to be able to say, I told you so, we'll still have failed. We have wasted this time. We've wasted these resources. Yes, and you will have honored them the whole time by letting them go first. And when it catastrophically fails, you won't have to say, I told you so. You'll have to say, uh, yes, because who will they be calling? You. Because now we're doing it your way. And by the way, with your way, careful what you ask for. You just might get it. And now it'll be your turn to run the budget this year that they didn't get right last year. And you get to fail twice after a track record of a year. <gasps> careful. When you fail that second year, because you got the budget wrong also, even though you had more experience and more track record to draw from, what are you going to want? Advice and people on your side. You know who those people will be? The people you supported the first year when you weren't in charge. Whew. Global Leadership Summit started early. <laughs> this is where I'm learning some of this stuff. Sorry, had to slip in a commercial. All right. Advice. For he went from prison to the throne. He, wait, wait, which he? There's two he's. Oh, no. Who's the subject of the first sentence? Better is the poor and wise young man. He's the subject. Right? We're comparing him to the indirect subject, right? But he is the poor and wise youth who went from prison to throne. Where'd he start? Okay, we're coming back to that in a second. He went to the where? Ooh, which means he was, okay, prison to king. Though in his own kingdom, he had been poor. Interesting. How'd that happen? He was wise. He took advice. He valued people. He brought them in. He understood that alone was wrong and bad. In fact, he might have read the book, beginning of the book where it says, it is not good for man to be alone. Wow, what if that was the greatest teaching rather than where did women come from? <laughs> kind of interesting. What if the first stories in the Bible are not about gender, whether they're about God and man and the idea of relationship is most valuable and being alone is horrible? What if it's God believed that so he created man so that God was less alone? Ooh, different way to look at Genesis. And are women super important then? Methinks we stumbled onto something, Right? If it was up to God, we would have been winning the Women's World Cup a long time ago, right? Although this is like the fifth time or something like that, right? I love when we crush the opponent. No, it's the fifth time we've been in it, fourth time we won it. Okay, amen. God is good. Um, where are we? Oh, yes, prison. Yes, and he became, he, he became king, although he was four. 
I saw all the living who moved about under the sun, verse 15, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the what? All of whom he led. Poor prisoner becomes the leader because he values people and he starts to figure out who he really works for. Who does he work for? People. Now, I know we're in church and I ask the question, who do you work for? And you're supposed to say God or Jesus, right? That's what Heitzman would say if he was here. And that's what he said first service. Great, you're going to work for God. How? Well, where he put you. Did he put you right in front of physical Jesus walking around and breathing and talking to you? No. Put you in front of a bunch of people. Put you in a crowd. Yet those who, came, who come later will not rejoice in him. They won't remember him. This poor guy that was a prisoner and became king. Well, later, once he's gone, he will be forgotten. Chapter 1. Why is Solomon telling us this again? So that you remember, no matter where you are, no matter where you started, no matter what you lack, get to business now. You got a short window, make the most of it. No one cares before you, no one cares after. The people around you right now, they're the ones that care. Man, now that kind of makes sense. Rather than, how depressing, no one will remember me. I'm going to start a diary and I'm going to make a movie about myself. Then my memory will last a little bit longer. You're missing the point. Surely this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. Uh, what do we need to know when we think about who we're working for? Yes, we're working for God, but how do we functionally do that? Chapter 4 brings us to uh, three concepts, at least to our attention, that we'll cover this morning. The first one is this. Envy connection with the neighbor rather than being them. And man, that sounds as like black and white, obvious, simpleton as it gets in our Western culture. But that, that verse... Six said, I saw all the toil and all skill in work that they come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Wrong. Value them. Envy connection with them, not being them. Not having their stuff, not having their experience. What, what if you let other people be the expert rather than take that position from them? Be the best you can possibly be where you are because that's where God placed you and that's where you could be efficient. That's how he's gifted you rather than, well, gosh, I, I, don't, I don't know enough of the Bible like Scott. I can't coach like Doug. I can't, I, I can't blah, 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 this or that or the other. Wah, wah, wah. Be you. Every moment that you think about being someone else, you are robbing yourself. In fact, let's go worse. It's a sin. It's as, it's as obvious a sin as it gets, but we don't like to say it that way. Thou shalt not covet. Chapter 3, Genesis no, you do not want to be like him. What if an Adam and Eve decided to just be Adam and Eve? 
things to be very different. Guess what? You got that choice. Praise the Lord, he didn't condemn humankind at that moment. Instead, he said, let's block off the gate, make sure they're not playing this game anymore. And from now on, we're going to work on relational with them. It's going to take an eternity, many, many generations, thousands of years. In fact, later on, they're going to argue about how many thousands of years because they're too dumb to recognize it's not the timeline, it's a relationship. Wow. Wow. What if we started thinking in those terms? I don't want to be God. I don't want that level of responsibility. I don't want that level of power. And I'm exhausted just thinking about it. And I want to be Scott. And I don't want to be the president. And I don't want to be the principal. And I don't want to be the coach. And I don't want to be a player because I don't like sports. I want to be me. I like art. Whatever. Pick your blank and fill it in. But stop looking at else. The grass is never greener. We've come up with that phrase to mock the inefficient pursuit that is the other side. And in that, we have devalued people. We've devalued spouses. We've devalued teammates, coworkers, leaders above us, and followers behind us. And I think it's kind of ironic and kind of funny how many different ways God has tried to tell us that people are our business, not the program. We put program over the person all the time because that's where the profit margins are. No, a happy, functioning, collaborative team is the most efficient way for you to be effective. That's where money comes from. And people want to be around you. So it's value people rather than being them. Second, Find a crowd to comfort and lift up. I've seen under the sun's terrible for a one who is alone and has no one to comfort them, no one to lift them up. Find yourself a crowd. And then instead of asking, well, I'm in trouble, I need someone to help me and I need someone to comfort me, Recognize when you're crying and whining and complaining and stop it. Be a comforting, supporting crowd member who lifts up the people around you. You know what will naturally happen? Good. And yes, probably. God will take care of you. Newsflash, we're Christians. We play the God card all the time. (laughs) Follow his system. It works. It has to, or I'm out. If it doesn't work, I'm going to go sell really cool cars. Go to movies. I'm going to coach a bunch of soccer kind of stuff, and I'm going to have fun. I'm going to make way more money. And yet, to date, I've found it works pretty much every time. And the times I think that it's not working, I just have yet to wait long enough to see how it's supposed to actually play out later. I have learned that I don't like that word, later. I don't like that word. 
right? But find a crowd. We're not meant to be alone, ever. It's not good. Be a comforting person, a lift-up person. Look them in the eye, smile at them, shake their hand. I was watching a training video for soccer coaches. It's all excited. I'm going to learn some new stuff about coaching soccer. And they had this whole section. When you arrive to practice, come early. Make sure you get eye contact and shake hands. Have a conversation with the parents. Make sure you stay around afterwards to do the same again. A good relationship with parents and players is the key to an effective coaching experience. And I thought to myself, oh, wow, we're not even talking about soccer anymore or equipment or gear or timelines or scheduling or any of that stuff, philosophy. We're talking about how do you talk to someone? <laughs> you tell me the leaders of our people have to be coached on how to look someone in the eye and smile. Oh, what? How sad is this? We got to find out how to be lift, lifting up, comforting, encouraging, positive. Caleb, sorry. I, I had to. I just, I couldn't, it just came out, right? Uh, lastly, stand in the king's place. Stand in the king's place. Which of the two are you supposed to be? The poor guy who goes from prison to the standing in the king's place? Or is the analogy meant for you to identify with the dumb king? Please tell me you know you were never meant to be uh, identified or mistaken for the dumb king. It's what we avoid. Be the poor pauper in prison who works his way out with nothing, no talent, no relationships, no status, and yet works his way all the way to the top. How? By caring about people. About knowing when to have your phone off. <laughs> Just having fun with you, brother. Right? It's why melons can't get married, right? Because they can't elope. Right? <laughs> No, that's all good. Hey, if you're watching online, you missed it. Stand in the king's place. Not because you deserve it or you're qualified or you have experience. Do it because of where God placed you. Because he has gifted you that way. And maybe you've yet to experience it. Maybe you've never been king before. Doesn't matter. The king who places kings has put you in a king position in your environment. Well, Scott, I'm a woman. Queen, great, get over it. <laughs> king or queen, royalty, leader in an environment, be that leader. You can doubt, you can question, you can fear, you can wonder, you can explain, you can excuse. And that's what you'll be doing. Instead of owning it. I was, talk, I was talking to a young pastor recently and it broke my heart because what he said to me was something that I've heard several times from several different young pastors and making me question what are we doing with our young pastors that they are asking these questions. I've never done this before. I've never been the lead pastor. I don't have enough experience. I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm not sure they're going to follow me. Get over it. 
and be the pastor. This is what they expect you to do. This is where God placed you. Now own it. Wear the stinking crown and the cape. Or if you don't like capes, get rid of them, right? Most of the superheroes don't wear them anymore anyways. But be what God has called you to be. Stand in the place. No one cares if you've been doing it for 10 years or not, if your daddy did it or if you got enough of a degree. If God's called you to something, you go do it. And you do it with people. And you let them have influence. You make it a good kingdom. You let other people be king in their environment. Let them be the boss sometimes. How'd that be? If you let the 15-year-old be the boss during shopping once in a while. That takes a little work. What do you get out of it? Pretty fun relationship. And some great stories. Severe mocking. All kinds of stuff. Right? God's called you to a crowd. To work for them. And I want you to think about this. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, we're going to pray. Dear Lord, okay, now you know we're praying. What Christ did on the cross, one of the great things that was accomplished on that cross was he did work for us. And just prior to that, he said, take communion with me. I want you to know what broken body and shed blood represent. We're going to do it by bread and wine. And here's what I want from you. I want you to remember. In a weird way, Jesus let us be boss when he worked for us on the cross. Not ultimately, not entirely, but there's a little piece of that where he worked for us. How great is that? What an example. It says, remember this, do it often. This morning, we're going to take communion together. as you're praying and as we're about to take communion, you're going to come up to one of these two stations. You're going to take the pre-broke bread. You're going to dip it in the wine like Jesus did. And you're going to share communion. Now, here's what I want you to ask God. Solomon asked the question, who do you work for? In your time of prayer, in your moment of communion, I want you to ask the question, who has God for you to work with? With who is the question for communion this morning? If you'll allow me to direct you that way. I want you to come forward right now, share communion, and ask God with who. Father God, thank you for this communion. Thank you for what it represents. So many things, we think of them as much as we can. We remember who you are, who your son is, what he did. This morning, Lord, help us to take the example and think about who is it that we're supposed to work with. May this communion honor your son. Let us participate together.